Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Chumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to Chumbacasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Blog Talk Radio. Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Bareback Facts. I apologize for the delay in discussion today. Had a little bit of technical issues today, but we'll see if we can iron those out. Uh, in the meantime, let's jump right into it today. We're going to be talking about fascism. We're going to be talking about the differences between fascism and other ideas such as uh, communism for our main example. Now, for those of you unfamiliar with fascism, fascism. Uh, is defined by Merriam-Webster specifically as um, a political philosophy movement or regime such as uh, that exalts nation and often race above the individual and that stands for a centralized autocratic government headed by a dictatorial leader, severe economic and social regimentation, and forcible suppression of opposition. A lot of big words in there. Um, so let's see if we can dissect this just a little bit together. Now, first off, um, as I explained before, we talked about communism. Uh, I briefly mentioned the fact that uh, communism is essentially um, essentially as far left on the political spectrum as you can go. Well, in this scenario, fascism is as far right in the political uh, spectrum as we can go. So we look at um, we look at this idea of fascism. Uh, it first off revolves around an authoritative regime, an authoritative government in which all the power is concentrated in the hands of the few instead of the many. So the many, uh, the masses, they do not have um, perhaps the power that certain groups within uh, government would have. Uh, we, could, we can point to contemporary examples to start with. Uh, the first, obviously, uh, the first one, obviously, that we can point to specifically uh, is going to be uh, the Nazis, which is our most, which is our most, uh, specific, you know, most commonly pointed to. But, but let's let's not just stick with the Nazis because we have a lot of different choices. Um, we, we've got we've got more than just the Nazis. Uh, to use, um, I want to I want to talk a little bit about, for example, 
Um, let's talk a little bit about Benito Mussolini's regime in Italy, for example. Mussolini uh, is one we don't talk about quite as much as we talk about uh, the Nazis and Hitler. We, we tend to lean towards we tend to lean towards talking about the Nazis because they're kind of an easy uh, example, right? They're kind of they kind of stick out. They're kind of easy to point to. Uh, they've always been kind of like the bad guys, right? Important to remember that Benito Mussolini uh, was also a fascist uh, dictator. He also ran a fascist party. Uh, he is, in fact, uh, the leader of the National Fascist Party uh, in Italy uh, and rules the country as the acting prime minister from 1922 to 1943. Uh, and he rules constitutionally until 1925 when he drops all pretense of democracy and sets up a legal, legal dictatorship known as the second Duce, the leader. Now, uh, known as a Duce, uh, Mussolini is, becomes essentially then the founder of Italian fascism. He starts out as the leader, uh, leading member of the National Directorate of the Italian Socialist Party, BSI, and prior to 1914, he was a keen supporter of the Socialist International, starting a series of meetings in Switzerland that organized communist revolutions and insurrections that swept through Europe. Uh, after this, we see things start to shift a little bit. He begins his he begins his uh, push towards the other side of things. Now. He's expelled from the PSI for withdrawing his support from the party stance on neutrality in the First World War. He served in the Royal Italian Army until he was wounded and discharged in 1917, kind of following a similar path as uh, Adolf Hitler, serving in the First World War, being wounded, um, and becoming disillusioned. Now, after he denounced the, PS, the, the party, the Italian Socialist Party, his views now began to center on nationalism instead of socialism, and he later founds a fascist movement in Italy. Following the march on Rome in October of 1922, he becomes the youngest prime minister in Italian history until the appointment of Matteo Renzi in February of 2014. Now, after, after he removes all of his political opposition through his own secret police and outlawing labor strikes, Mussolini and his followers consolidate their power through a series of laws that transform the nation into a one-party dictatorship. Uh, and within five years, he established complete dictatorial authority by both legal and extraordinary means, aspiring to create a totalitarian state. So this is just a, an example how one ends up with a fascist regime as, their, as, as the ruling body in their country. But how can, we, how can we catch the characteristics of fascism in their tracks? How can we tell when we're about to fall under the spell of fascism? And more importantly, how can we separate uh, simply authoritarianism from fascism? Well, we've got more than just Germany and, and Italy to look at. We've got Spain and uh, Saharto of Indonesia, Pinochet of Chile. Uh, all these individuals uh, rose to power in similar manner. 
But let's take a look. They all gave us there are, they all gave us several, several examples on things we can look for as markers of fascism. Um, now, one political scientist named Dr. Lawrence Britt uh, wrote an article uh, on fascism called "Fascism Anyone" uh, for the Free Inquiry ma- magazine in, in spring of 2003. And this is a compi- this is this is a set of characteristics that they compiled after studying. Uh, Nazi Germany, fascist Italy, fascist Spain, the dictatorship of Suharto and Pinochet. So they found that they all had 14 elements in common. And he called these, uh, Lawrence Britt calls these the identifying characteristics of fascism. Uh, And so we're going to take a look um, at some of those uh, characteristics. So the first is a powerful, powerful and continuing nationalism. So fascist regimes tend to make constant use of patriotic mottos, slogans, symbols, songs, and other paraphernalia. Flags are seen everywhere, as are flags, flag symbols on clothing and in public displays. Patriotism and service to the nation are paramount. Disdain for the recognition of human rights. Because of fear of enemies and the need for security, the people in fascist regimes are persuaded that human rights can be ignored in certain cases because we might need to. The people tend to look the other way or even approve of things such as tortures, summary executions, assassinations, and long incarcerations of prisoners, etc., for fear of either repercussions from their government or uh, from, from fear of becoming associated with either the political enemies of government or maybe even just fear of the supposed political enemies of the government. Now, then we have identification of enemies and scapegoats as a unifying cause. And we saw this with, uh, we saw this in particular with Italy and Germany. Uh, Germany and Italy, during, during a period in which they fall under fascist regimes, uh, we look at Germany. Uh, Hitler's rise to power is oftentimes clouded specifically with anti-Semitism. We tend to think Nazis, anti-Semitism. And you're not off when you think about Nazis and their relationship with anti-Semitism. But where we tend to get lost along the way is assuming that they sort of made anti-Semitism popular or or sold that to the masses when anti-Semitism was already a sentiment that was expressed a great deal, not only in Germany, but across many parts of the world, specifically throughout Europe for many, many, many long years. So it's something that they already that already existed, which is why uh, one of the major reasons why that anti-Semitism is so easily packaged to their population, because many of those people already had uh, misgivings about the Jewish people. But the real scapegoating that takes place in Germany is not necessarily just the Jews. Uh, it starts out actually with blaming the Weimar Republic for the failure of Germany uh, in World War One, and blaming them for failing to negotiate better terms for Germany after the end of World War One, they blame uh, Hitler blames the Weimar Republic for not only the defeat of Germany, he blames the first uh, the the original politicians before him uh, as being weak uh, and unable to negotiate from a position of strength. They he he blames them not only for their defeat but also for the economic problems that Germany was suffering, the reparations they had to pay, the the disrespect that he saw Germany 
was experiencing from other world nations, from the other major nations in the world. And so as a consequence of this, he creates not only this other, which would be the government that comes before him, but he also uh, unifies the public. They all begin to see uh, the old guard as the enemy. Uh, so and, and not only that, they also begin to demonize other ethnic groups. They begin to demonize the Roma. They begin to demonize Jews. They begin to demonize certain parts of the religious of different religious communities. And by doing this, you're able to create uh, the ideal uh, servant of the nation versus the enemies of the state. So we have the identification of enemies and scapegoats as a unifying cause. The fourth, the fourth characteristic we can look at is the supremacy of the military. So even if there are widespread domestic problems, the military is given a disproportionate amount of government funding and the domestic agenda is neglected. Soldiers and military service are glamorized throughout the state. And why would they be glamorized throughout the state in a fascist regime? Well, because under fascism, there is almost this quasi-worship of the state. We talk about how great the state is. It's quite similar in this way to communism. Not to be confused with communism, but both of them uh, do a little bit of worship of the state. The institution of state itself is worshipped to a degree in that it's elevated above all things. We have to talk about how great the state is. If we don't talk about how great it is, no one's going to know how great it is. Uh, and so, of course, you're going you're gonna to talk about how great your military is because they are an extension, a hand of the state, and they obviously, if they represent this glorious state you're trying to create, they are going to be amazing and wonderful and the best top, the top dogs, the best that we can buy uh, army. So, so that's our fourth characteristic, a, a large investment in our military and really the elevation of military as sort of the creme de la creme of our population. And then the fifth characteristic is sort of uh, not necessarily always the case, but rampant sexism also can occur underneath, uh, underneath fascist regimes. So the governments of fascist nations can be almost exclusively male-dominated in many cases, and under fascist regimes, traditional gender roles are much more rigid. Opposition to abortion is high, as is homophobia and anti-gay legislation. We saw this uh, specifically uh, in Chile and in uh, Nazi Germany, again, um, laws that, are, that prohibit people uh, of different genders from doing things, that prohibit people from going places. Uh, you know, so this this is another characteristic of a fascist regime. Uh, so we take a look at that, uh, and you know, people we we talk now about sort of uh, the rights of rights of the individual, the rights of of uh, you know people of different backgrounds, uh, different genders, uh, having you know sort of proportional rights to what uh, what men have. Uh, and fascism is sort of stepped in the opposite direction of that. Now, another major, another major, major characteristic of of this form of government is the need to control information. I talked about Joseph uh, Goebbels in my last show, and I talked about uh, his obsession, really, with being uh, in control of basically every single aspect of German life. I mean, he had infiltrated film. Uh, me, you know, every medium of information, he had a hand in it. 
And this is a key component. This is a very uh, critical point. Under fascist regimes, we have this need to control information, uh, the need to be in control of every aspect of life, to not only control where information is going and control access to information, but also to make sure uh, that our message is always on your mind, and in addition to that, to make sure that you can control dissent, because you don't want people expressing different opinions than what you're giving uh, under a fascist regime. So media is directly sometimes controlled by government. Uh, in other cases, the media is indirectly controlled by government regulation or sympathetic media spokespeople and executives. So censorship in wartime is especially common during the Second World War. Uh, both Germany and Italy did a great job, for the most part, of really kind of selling, selling war to their population. And even when they were losing, they did, this, they did a fantastic job of basically covering it up. Uh, until the enemies were, were at their doorstep, that is, and then at that point there was no covering of that. Um, uh, a seventh characteristic we can look at is the obsession with national security. Uh, fear is a motivational tool used by the government over the masses under a fascist regime. Uh, they point to an outside other as a major problem, not just uh, maybe the problem for our country not advancing specifically, but they're a threat. They're a threat to our advancement, and we must be vigilant. Uh, so this is one, one other aspect of fascism that, that tends to crop up. Uh, religion and government become intertwined under fascist regimes. Governments and fascist nations tend to use the most common religion in the nation as a tool to manipulate the public. Uh, religious rhetoric and terminology is common from government leaders, even when the major tenets of the religion are diametrically opposed to the government's policies or actions. Um, so, you know, religion and government kind of get all tangled up under the Nazis. Uh, they all, I mean, not so much, not so much uh, in Italy, but under the Nazis, religion uh, becomes very closely tied to the state. And some of the racial ideology that exists under the Nazis almost becomes religion, which is actually kind of scary uh, when you think about that, uh, when you think that... Uh, certain ideas that political parties have could become so ingrained in a person that they almost become a religion. And that is uh, a really, uh, that is what you, when you can tell that there's a really effective uh, agenda at work under, under any real form of government, that is how you could tell. Uh, but in this, in this scenario, uh, this is a good marker for a fascist regime. How else can we see uh, fascism rising. Well, under fascism, corporate power is often heavily protected. The industrial and business aristocracy of a fascist nation often are the ones who put the government leaders in power to begin with, creating a mutually beneficial business-government relationship and power elite. We saw this. Uh, we've seen this before, uh, particularly uh, all the big businesses that backed up the Nazis uh, during the Second World War, uh, guys that had a lot of money and were all too happy to jump right on board with them, and they benefited greatly during the Second World War.
we see lots and lots of spending on the military, all all kinds of military contracts uh, granted to them. And so you, you take a look at you take a look at one company, for example. This is this is a major company, IG Pharma, a chemicals and pharmaceuticals company. Uh, and then you have powerful companies like Krupp uh, and Siemens. Uh, Siemens and Krupp, Krupp did steel and lots and lots of weaponry. Uh, IG Pharma created some of the some of the very chemicals that the Nazi party, uh, that the Nazis uh, special special troops, the SS, were using uh, to kill kill the Jewish people and kill people in concentration camps. These chemicals were, in many cases, developed by IG Farben. Uh, so these companies had a lot of power even before the third, even before the rise of the Nazi Party, and they used that power to really undermine uh, the, the Weimar Republic. They bankrolled uh, the Nazi Party when they were running for political offices. And by the time they got into power, the Nazis, when they got into power, did not forget this favor. They did a lot of business. The government did a lot of business with these companies. And you can see that in, in, in their military. Where did all that money go? Where did all that government spending go? It went to, play, it went to companies like IG Farben and Krupp, who were producing weapons and chemical of, of both the steel, uh, you know, guns, tanks, planes, but that's not all. Those aren't the only things they've got. I mean, like I said, again, we have companies like IG Farben uh, who are producing chemicals and also drugs uh, that are being used um, and and used for not only uh, recreation, you know, not only for, you know, health, but but also – they're also using these drugs as, uh, you know, as weapons, right? And so we have uh, real examples here um, of these businesses benefiting underneath Hitler. Uh, here we have the, you know, the company IG Farman, uh, who runs a synthetic rubber factory out of Auschwitz, and who are they using for labor? They're using they're using political prisoners as basically cheap labor, free labor, essentially. Um, you know they they are using free labor from people who are in Auschwitz to make and produce rubber. Um, you know, and we have three executives uh, in 1978 and 1948. The United States prosecuted dozens of the three uh, of three of war of wartime Germany's largest companies for war crimes. And crimes against humanity. Dozens of their executives from these from three major companies are brought up on charges of war crimes. Uh, you have members from Krupp and Flick, which are steel and coal-driven companies in Germany, both of which built weapons of war and employed forced labor. And the board members again of IG Farben come up, and they are prosecuted at Nuremberg uh, as well. Their abuses of these individuals 
who were imprisoned by government and now being forced to work for these companies. And a number of these individuals, their trials end with them going to prison uh, for these war crimes. Uh, now, most prominently, Alfred Krupp von Bolen and Halbach, the sole owner of Krupp, was found guilty of employing slave labor and plundering businesses in France and the Netherlands. He is stripped of all of his property, business holdings, and he's sentenced to only 12 years in prison. He's only sentenced to 12 years in prison even after uh, the fact. But I mean, take a look at all the things he was able to get away with because of who was in power. He did a little, I'll scratch your back, you scratch mine, and the next thing you know, he's got free labor. He's getting rid of all of his business competition. Uh, so this is a major example uh, of one, a major marker of, of fascism. Corporate power is protected. Corporate abuses are allowed. Uh, number 10, labor power is suppressed. Because the organizing power of labor is one of the only real threats to a fascist government, labor unions are either eliminated entirely or are severely uh, suppressed. Uh, now, Benito Mussolini and, and Adolf Hitler were absolutely uh, you know, paranoid about communism. Uh, they had seen its effects in other countries. Uh, they, they had seen... Uh, socialism's effects uh, in other countries, and they saw how much uh, how much power those groups could attain. They saw how much influence those party those those ideologies could garner. And the last thing they wanted was an ideology cropping up, any political or social ideology that could come up that could challenge their base of power. They didn't want the organization of their their population to become diametrically opposed to what they believed in, to what they were trying to get the people to buy, uh, which was this idea that you know the, our, this government is the one you need and we're the ones that we've got all the answers and you don't need to be looking elsewhere. These, all, these other groups, particularly uh, communists and socialists specifically, become a threat because they offer a different way of viewing the world. And under fascism, uh, they don't. You don't want other ways of viewing the world to be available to your population. Uh, so we see in uh, the case of Benito Mussolini, his his uh, his his thugs, his his guys that uh, go around and suppress people, run around and uh, they 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 eliminate these people. They they intimidate these individuals. And then, of course, in the case of Hitler, how does he consolidate his power, uh, finally consolidate his power? Uh, well, we have a little thing called the Night of the Long Knives. And if you're unfamiliar with the Night of the Long Knives, this is a, a night in which you know Hitler's brown shirts essentially wait uh, for leaders of the communist opposition to be in a meeting. They arrive. Uh, and they they creep up on these individuals and they murder them, and then the next you know over the course of the next few days, uh, their bodies are washing are are washing up on the shores of of the Rhine. They're found in the streets, and it becomes very clear, who, and people know who these individuals are, so it becomes very clear that this kind of dissent will not be tolerated. Uh, so this is this is a key example 
uh, we can look at, a key characteristic of fascism that we can examine is uh, the need to suppress not only the power of labor, but to suppress any and all opposition as quickly as possible. Now, uh, another characteristic out of these 14 is the disdain for intellectuals in the arts. Fascist nations tend to promote and tolerate open hostility to higher education and academia, and it is not uncommon for professors and other academics to be censored or even arrested. Uh, we see in uh, we see in places such as um, uh, Benito Mussolini's case that um, you know people that oppose their ideology end up disappearing. Uh, we can look at Antonio Gramsci, who was a foremost uh, sort of social philosopher of his time, uh, and spends. Uh, he spends a great deal of time, he spends almost the majority of his life uh, in a fascist, and because he was writing about, uh, he was writing about the idea of hegemony, he was writing about ideas about social inequalities, um, and the power of labor, the power of the people uh, that should not be suppressed, and this landed him in jail, and he spent the majority of his life in jail, because during the majority of his life, Benito Mussolini. Benito Mussolini spent uh, his time in not only in power but suppressing any and all opposition to his power. And he saw it, he saw uh, philosophers such as Antonio Gramsci as a threat. He didn't want them to be handing out pamphlets talking about uh, you know you're you're being undervalued as a worker. No, 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 no. We don't want these things to happen if we're running a fascist regime. We want people uh, to do what we want them to do. We want them to toe the line and, and fill the role that they're supposed to fill. Uh, much like in the case of communism, you become a cog in the machine. And if every cog is not turning, there is a problem. Uh, so there's an obsession with crime and punishment oftentimes in, uh, in fascist regimes uh, the police are given almost limitless power to enforce laws. The people are often willing to overlook police abuses and even forgo civil liberties in the name of patriotism. We can look at the secret police of Saddam Hussein, the secret police of the, of the Nazis, who are able to uh, creep into people's houses. We also look at the secret police uh, in Spain uh, and uh, under Pinochet, who are able to simply just go into people's neighborhoods uh, in the middle of the night uh, kick down your door, arrest you with no due process, no, no, uh, you know, you don't have the right to remain silent. You have the right to get beaten up and taken to wherever we take you. Uh, and in many cases, the secret police could even kill you. Uh, specifically uh, in the Third Reich, uh, people knew uh, that they were under surveillance. Oftentimes, they knew they were under surveillance. In many cases, uh, they didn't even have to be diametrically opposed to the government to be under surveillance. So obsessed uh, is the government with being in every part of the people's lives under fascism that um, they, they're surveilling their own people. Uh, the secret police are there to make sure that you're doing everything that you claim to be doing, that you really love your government. If you don't really love your government, well, the secret police can ensure that you're not around to tell everybody about it. Uh, you know, we often think uh, of the Gestapo, which, you know, that's a very good example. We think about the Gestapo, but we can we can also point to the secret police under under individuals such as um, Benito Mussolini, uh, who are just uh, simply a continuation of what he was already doing 
who are who are running around and uh, and in some cases assassinating people, uh, but also uh, you know they assassinate individuals, uh, the secret police for for Benito Mussolini, uh, essentially assassinate one of his uh, political opponents, a socialist deputy named Giacomo Matteotti, who uh, requested that elections, you know, be checked, you know, looked looked it, looked it up, and he said, we need to re-examine these votes. Uh, you know, we, we, we should, we should, uh, we should start checking, checking out, checking on this stuff. I don't, I don't trust this Mussolini guy. Uh, and you know Mussolini would later confess that a few few resolute men could have altered public opinion and started a coup that would have swept fascism away, but we couldn't let that happen. We had to get rid of these individuals. So this is a key uh, a key aspect of fascism in that there is oftentimes an armed uh, hand of the government that could come in and uh, you know take the gloves off, really ignore your rights. And essentially, just do whatever they want to do. Um, then we have uh, the 13th characteristic, which is rampant cronyism and corruption. Uh, now, you see, fascist regimes tend to almost always be governed by groups of friends and associates who appoint each other to government positions and use governmental power and authority to protect their friends from accountability. And it's not uncommon in fascist regimes for national resources and even treasures to be appropriated or even outright stolen by government leaders. And I'm going to hammer this home. Uh, this is a this is a major major aspect of fascism uh, that we can't we can't neglect. Um, underneath underneath Third Reich, uh, we see this at its height. Uh, you know, Goebbels and Goering, um, all these guys are running around stealing stealing uh, art from the population. They're stealing. Uh, Stealing treasures, national treasures from from the people, and then hoarding them up. Uh, they they steal. Not only do they steal them from the German people, they steal them from the French people. They steal them from everybody, and uh, they are often appointing their friends and family members to to prominent positions. Uh, we can also look back to the relationship of Ig Farben with the Nazis. Uh, they are so intertwined with them that they're even they're using concentration camps for labor. I mean, you can't be any more in bed with big business as a government than when the big businesses are directly benefiting from your government policies. And not only are they benefiting but they're doing so at the expense of the people you claim to represent. That is, uh, at a tight right there, corruption. That is, that is, that is corruption at a tight. Uh, a scenario in which we have big businesses not only uh, in bed with government, but in government, in this case, with IG Farb and their members, uh, many, many of their members end up, again, being tried for war crimes and and guys with with the business corrupt. These guys are all involved with the government. They are they are in bed with the government. They are benefiting directly from government. Uh, uh, government policies such as the concentration camps give them availability to cheaper labor than they ever could have had before. Because what's cheaper than free? 
really nothing, right? Um, especially when you don't have to pay. Uh, it's great. It's you know, labor is great, especially when you don't have to pay for it. Uh, and that was the that was, that's the you know major uh, upside when you're under a fascist regime. If you're a big business, you you can kind of get away with a lot of that stuff. And that that kind of ties back to the protection of of individuals such as corporate heads, giving them a lot more power and a lot more leeway than they would have before. So that kind of ties back into that previous point. And then finally, we have fraudulent elections. Fraudulent elections, sometimes in elections in fascist nations, are a complete sham. Other times they're manipulated by smear campaigns or assassinations of opposites of candidates, use of legislation. Uh, again, we go back to the political opponent of Benito Mussolini, who was assassinated. Uh, he didn't even get to really run. He just came out and said, I'm thinking about running. Uh, these elections we've had are kind of weird. Uh, you know, Benito Mussolini is like the only guy running. I'm thinking about running, and then you get murdered. Uh, this is this is a, a really good example of how fascist nations tend to use uh, their power to control and manipulate elections. Um, you know, not so much in the case – we don't see this so much in the case of the Nazis, but we do see this in the case of, of individuals such as Pinochet uh, and Franco in Spain who essentially are like, oh, yeah, 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 we'll have elections. But I'll be the only guy on the ballot, and if you don't vote for me, uh, then it won't matter because I'm going to be your only choice because we'll kill everybody else that that tries to run for president. Uh, so, you know, these are 14 major defining characteristics of fascism. And then we'll, we'll take a second here and go a little bit deeper. Um, I want I want to do some comparative here. So let's take a look at. The differences between communism and fascism; these two things kind of get thrown together sometimes. So we've got to we, we've got to uh, separate and disentangle them from one another. So let's start with the philosophy of communism versus the philosophy of fascism. So from each according to his ability to according to his needs, free access to the articles of consumption is made possible by advances in technology that allow for superabundance. This is a key philosophy of communism. Under fascism. Their key philosophy is the state must attain glory through constant conquest and war. The past was glorious, and the state can be renewed. The individual has no value outside of his or her role in promoting the glory of the state. So in in the case of communism, we have this idea of access to the articles of consumption, control over the means of production, and basically distributing wealth from each according to his ability. So based on your contribution, there is an even distribution of wealth. Under fascism, it's all about propping up the state. It's all about emphasis on how great the state is. We can, we can tap into this glorious past that we have. That's a major component of, of, of fascism. Here's some, some key ideas that are different between the two. So under communism, all people are the same, and therefore classes make no sense. The government should own all means of production and land and also everything else. People should work for the government, and the collective output should be redistributed equally. Now we look at the flip side. Here in, under, under fascism, the flip side is union between businesses and the state with the state telling the businesses what to do with nominally private ownership Corporatism. We can look at we can look at several examples. We look at corporatism in Italy 
uh, national socialism in Germany, central planning of national economy with redistribution of wealth. Um, so, you know, this is these are some these are actually pretty different from one another. Uh, despite the attempts by many people today to kind of conflate them together, they're not the same thing. So then let's look at some other key key elements here. Centralized government, planned economy, dictatorship of the proletariat, common ownership of the tools of production, no private property, equality between genders and all people, international focus, and usually anti-democratic with a one-party system. That's communism uh, essentially broken down to its core. What's a dictatorship of the proletariat? It's a dictatorship of the quote-unquote people. Let's take a look at some key elements of fascism again. Actual idealism, centralized government, social Darwinism, planned economy, anti-democratic, meritocratic, you know, so uh, extreme nationalism, militarism, and oftentimes racism, traditional and or exaggerated gender roles, and a one-party system. So aside from, so, so we take, a, take out a few of these things here. Under communism, gender, race, they're not really important. Uh, everybody's kind of, there's a sense of oneness within this community, right? At, at, at the core of communism is this idea of commune and community. We're all one we're all one big thing. We're all part of one big machine. Uh, it doesn't really matter what we look like or where we come from. We're all part of the machine now, and we've all got to make it go. Under fascism, you're gonna. It, it's a little bit different. This is the way things are. This is the way things have always been. And if it isn't the way things always have been, it's damn sure going to be now. And then this is the way things are now. And you have one choice, and that choice is to toe the line and, and do what we tell you to do. Don't be over there thinking that you're going to do something different. You can do what we tell you to do. Uh, and, and by the way, there's groups of people who aren't as good as other groups of people, and those are the people that are holding us back, so we've got to get rid of them. Uh, that's, kind of, uh, that's kind of a simplified sort of breakdown there between the two. And then, of course, we've already looked at sort of the dif the differences uh, between them uh, in terms of definition. But let's look at what a political system under both these ideas, uh, under both these sort of socio-political ideas would look like. So under communism, a communist society is stateless, classless, and is governed directly by the people. Uh, that's the ideal, and that's never really been practiced. It tends to lead to, you know, one one or a few people kind of taking power. In the case of the Bolsheviks, you know, their party just kind of asserts dominance over the whole country. Under fascism, one charismatic leader has absolute power and authority. Often the symbols of state and advisors to government are generally picked by merit rather than election. Uh, so the idea that, oh, well, you did me favors in the past or, you know, you, you've done X, Y, and Z. You're the guy I want in this position. You're not necessarily qualified for it, but because you donated to my campaigns, <coughs> I'm going to put you in charge of some stuff. Uh, so we've seen this happen time and time again. Uh, individuals come to power, and you know what? They, they, they do the old, 
Well, you scratched my back during the election, so here's uh, you could be in charge of the Department of uh, Education, maybe? Yeah, yeah, that's fine. I know you don't know anything about education, but it's cool. I'm going to let you be in charge of it. You be in charge of all that money. I trust you. Wink, wink, nod, nod. And so this is this is one of the major differences between communism uh, and fascism is that we have this cronyism. Now, cronyism can exist under communism. Let's not be fooled. Corruption can exist in any form of government. But the difference here is that in many cases, fascism is sort of almost reliant on this cronyism. These are the individuals that you're going to be put in power. You know, these are the individuals you're going to be given power to. Uh, and you need somebody to run stuff. But you're going to only give it to people that you know you can control uh, or that you know you have to give it to because they've given you um, you know, that you've benefited from that. So let's take a look here. Private property under communism is abolished, and the concept of property is negated and replaced with the concept of commons and ownership with usership. Under fascism, it's nominally permitted, contingent upon service, obedience, and useful to the, usefulness to the state. So under fascism, property, uh, private property is determined by how useful you are to the state. How useful are you? How obedient are you to the government? Because the first time you step out of line, everything you have can be seized. Uh, under fascism, that's what happens with your private property. It can be seized at any time. It's, it's all dependent and contingent upon your service to the government. You're going to do what we tell you to, or we're going to take your house and your dog and everything else you have. Uh, in, under communism, there is no real concept of private property because the government owns everything. Uh, and, you know, everybody everybody is this cog in this machine, and you're all benefiting from, you're, you're all supposedly benefiting from the government taking control over every every bit of property. Uh, so what is, what is the, uh, what is the ownership structure, or, well, let's take a look specifically at social structure. I want to take a look at social structure under communism and social structure under fascism. Under, under communism, all class distinctions are eliminated. There is no middle class. There is no rich. Uh, ideally, under communism, everybody is, quote, unquote, the same. A society in which everybody is both the owners of the means of production and their own employees. So you're working for the government, and the government works for you. You're all working together. It's great. Wonderful. You're, it's, it's a great exchange. Wonderful relationship we have. And then fascism, strict class structure, believed necessary to prevent chaos. Uh, we see this under, the, under, in, under Benito Mussolini, in which, you know, that the aristocrats are given all this power. You know, they're, they're told, yeah, yeah, we need this rigid class structure. Got to keep people in line. You, you stay in your lane, so to speak. Uh, you know, we we got to have this in place. Uh, now, it's different under the Nazis. Pretty much all class uh, distinctions are eliminated. Uh, they believed in a superior race, so it's racial distinctions that they use uh, in which they separate people. How German are you? How well do you fit into this ideal of the perfect German that we have? How, 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 uh, how well do you fit in? If you don't fit in, well... Uh, you might not uh, not only well, you might not be benefiting from the government's policies, you might end up being murdered uh, by the government. Um, so we have we have that as, as a major difference. Now let's take a look. 
at religion under these two uh, forms of, of government. So under communist regime, uh, religion is abolished. All religious and metaphysics are rejected. Uh, you know, proponents of, of communism, such as Engels and Lenin, agreed that religion is a drug or spiritual booze, and it must be combated. Uh, to them, atheism put into practice uh, meant a forcible overthrow of all existing social conditions. So uh, under communism, religion is seen as part of the old guard. It's holding us back. It, it prevents us. It, it creates a disunity. If people believe in different things than one another, this this makes it difficult for us to create this classless society. Because inherently, by having a religion, you're going to believe that what you believe is right and what your what your opposition believes is wrong, and you're going to believe you're better than that person, and this is going to cause conflict, and we're not going to be the well-oiled machine we want to be. So under communism, we have to get rid of all that. you got to get rid of religion. Then we move over to fascism. Fascism is a civic religion, which means the citizens worship the state through nationalism. The state only supports religious organizations that are nationally or historically tied to the state. So, for example, uh, in, in Romania, uh, under the rise of their dictator, the Iron Guard uh, in Romania supported the Romanian Orthodox Church. Why? Because they've been there for so long. Uh, and when they started to rise to, when the, when the dictatorship started to rise to power in Romania, they said, oh, oh, yeah, um, uh, yeah, 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 yeah. Everybody, get on board with these guys. They're they're the they're the they're the true uh, leaders of this country. God wants them to be in power, whatever. Uh, we got to back these guys up. That's 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 the way things need to be. Uh, and the government was like, yeah, yeah. Uh, God totally wants to be in power. Um, yeah, you scratched our back. Now we're gonna scratch yours. Everybody, go to the Roman Orthodox, Romanian Orthodox Church. Everybody, let's go. Uh, so you you see that uh, religion. It's maybe not necessarily as important under fascism as long as there exists this idea that you need to worship the state. Um, it's all the religion of fascism is that we worship the state. Nationalism is paramount. You got to talk about how great uh, the state is. You got to you got to try to tap into that dream. Uh, you know who needs to make the country great again? We've always been great. Uh, and we're going to be even greater now that everybody realizes how great we are. Uh, so, you know, this circular logic um, that you get under fascism. When you look at this idea of free choice under both of them, under communism, the collective vote, either the collective vote or the state's rulers make economic and political decisions for everyone else. In practice, rallies, forced propaganda, they're used by the rulers to control the populace. Under fascism, the individual is not considered to possess meaning. They are considered meaningless. They must submit to the decisions of leadership. Uh, traditional gender roles are upheld and or exaggerated. Uh, so you don't really have much choice outside of the way. It's toe the line or else. Uh, way of change under these two things, uh, under communism and fascism. Under communism, government in a communist state is the agent of change rather than any market or desire on the part of consumers. Change by government could be swift or slow depending on change by ideology or even whim. Now, under fascism, government in a fascist state is the agent of change rather than any market or desire. Change by government, you know, again, be swift or, or even at the whim of a dictator. So you know, it's all in how you slice it.
Um, so, how, what's discrimination look like under these two uh, under these two two different uh, ideologies? In theory, under communism, all members of the state are considered equal to one another. This is in theory, not always in practice. We still see discrimination against the Jews uh, in the Soviet Union, uh, and you still see it uh, through uh, through the spread of of communism in other countries. You still see persecution against minority groups uh, in various places. Uh, so it still exists uh, under communism, but in theory, all members of the state are supposed to be considered equal to one another. Uh, you know, theory versus practice is another discussion entirely. Then we look at fascism. Uh, belief in one superior race, for example, of Nazism, belief in a superior nation, fascism. Uh, is This is another, this is another uh, component of fascism is this idea that we have a superior nation. And so uh, how, can we provide, how can we prove that our nation is superior? Well, we've got to get rid of anything uh, that, that argues with our standpoint that we're superior. And that includes people such as the mentally ill and physically handicapped, alcoholics, homosexuals, Roma, the Roma, Jews. Uh, this is all under the Nazis. These are all people that are targeted under the Nazis. And under, under other dictators as well, you see people attempt to get rid of uh, people that are considered to be a quote-unquote burden on the state, on, 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 our, on the state's ambitions. These people are eliminated. Um, you know, so by no means are, are the Nazis the only ones that are targeting the mentally handicapped and the, the elderly and the ill uh, or alcoholics or homosexuals. They are not the only ones, but they are one of our most glaring examples of, of how a government can begin targeting people and marketing them as undesirable because they don't fit the mold of the ideal that we're trying to reach. Um the means of control. Theoretically, there is no state control because theoretically under communism, under communism, theoretically, there is no state control because under communism, the people are supposedly in control of the state. So technically, you know, if you squint at it just right, there is no control of government, but we all can tell that that's really not how that rolls because we had a guy come to power one time called named Joseph Stalin who was uh, pretty hell-bent on making sure that he was in control uh, through various forms of eliminating all of his political opposition, such as gulags. Um, under fascism, there is, when it comes to the means of control, fascism employs direct force, secret police, government inti- intimidation, concentration camps, political prison, and murder, propaganda enabled by state-directed and heavily censored media, Rallies, etc. So all these things are key examples of of how fascist regimes can pin down and and control every aspect of their country. And we can see uh, how do these two ideologies view the rest of the world around them. This is a, this is another uh, key difference between the two. So let's take a look at how these two ideologies separate themselves from the rest of the world. Uh, Communism is an international movement. Communists in one country see themselves in solidarity with communists all over the world. Uh, They distrust nationalistic nations and leaders 
and a strongly distrusted business. So this is how communism, this is the lens through which people that believe and and profess the glories of uh, communism view their world. They see themselves in an international community, in an international con- context, because they don't believe in this idea of, you know, necessarily a nation. They believe in an in a, in a international community, a worldwide community. The idea of, com- you know, the, the real goal of communism was always to spread throughout the entire world and create a utopian society. So you can't do that if you're obsessed with nationalism. That's not going to cut it. Under fascism, things are a little bit different, as you might imagine. Fascists are ultra-nationalists who identify strongly with other nationalistic nations and leaders. They distrust internationalism, and they rarely abide by international agreements. They don't believe in the concept of international law. Case in point, Benito Mussolini and his invasion of Ethiopia, he didn't care about international laws. Saddam Hussein, when he invaded Kuwait, he didn't care about international laws. When he was gassing people by the droves, he didn't care about international law. In fact, he didn't care about what anybody thought. All he cared about was he wanted to kill some people, and he was going to do it. Uh, same thing with the Nazis. See the same thing with them. Uh, you know, they sign they sign agreements with other countries, and then they say, you know what, we don't have to honor these agreements. We're not going to do that. We're we're going to invade. Uh, you know, they signed peaceful agreements with with Russia before they invade Poland. Uh, who they had said we won't invade Poland. We won't do that. Poland. You know, we, why would we want to invade there? We're not going to do that. It's crazy. You know, trust me. You know, Hitler Hitler told 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 the Russians, we're not going to go over there. We won't do it. We, we promise we're not going to invade Russia. We promise. I know we broke our promises before about, you know, invading Poland and all these other countries over there in the eastern part of Europe, you know. I know we, we said we would stay out of Slovenia and all these other countries, but we lied. But that's okay now because we're not going to invade Russia, and we would never do that, and then what happens? They invade Russia, right? And, you know, so it's important to remember that under fascism, uh, you know, international agreements, they don't mean anything. International law, they don't mean anything. It's all about their nation. Fascists don't care what the rest of the world thinks. A fascist regime cares, does not care about repercussions and does not care about, you know, doesn't care about international laws, doesn't care about human rights. Human rights are an international idea. They don't care about that. They're they're all about their own country and and what they want to do, uh, how they want to run things. So let's take it some take a look at some modern examples, some more contemporary examples uh, of of communist regimes and fascist regimes. And we look at communist regimes. We've got some more glaring examples on, you know, communist regimes now than we get, do uh, the reverse, which is, you know, our topic of today, fascism. So, you know, far-left dictatorships, uh, you know, more modern dictatorships that we have today include really only five countries today. There's only really five nations in the world that have communist governments, true communist governments. That's China, North Korea, uh, well, actually, I would say four. There's only really four. Uh, it's China, North Korea, Cuba, and Laos. 
they're basically the only real communist countries out there anymore. You know, people say Russia's communist, but that's really kind of hard to say because really they're more of an oligarchy than anything else. You know, so, you know, not that an oligarchy can't exist under communism, but that's a whole other can of worms. Um, but they're, you know, less less so communist than they were. Uh, now, on the flip side of that, more contemporary examples now of fascist regimes include uh, the Republic of Chile under Augusto Pinochet, uh, the Republic of Argentina under Juan Perón. Uh, but presently, there are no openly fascist governments in existence today. Uh, you know, the closest thing we really kind of had uh, was Saddam Hussein to a degree. It was about the closest thing we really had to anything uh, you know, within the last, within the last, uh, you know, 10, 15 years. Pinochet was around until nine, 1990 uh, before he, you know, sort of faded away. Um, but, you know, this, this is a good way of examining uh, the differences between communism and fascism. Uh, now, I want to give you guys some, uh, some stuff to go look up. If you're interested in learning a little bit more about about uh, you know about fascism and where 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 it comes from, how how can we how can we find you know the ideas of fascists? Where where would we look? Uh, I'm gonna give you guys some some texts that you can look up. Uh, so you can look at uh, the doctrine of fascism, uh, the fascist manifesto. La Conquista del Estado, um, uh, the myth of the 20th century, the last will of a of a Russian fascist. These are all examples of texts written by fascists. And of course, um, you know, there's texts such as Mein Kampf uh, that, of course, uh, count the glory of fascism. Uh, but there's also some great scholarship that's been done on fascism. You might want to look at uh, Dagmar Herzog's uh, Sex After Fascism, uh, which is a, a tremendous look at at how uh, sex is looked at during uh, the Nazi regime. And also, and also, you know, sort of how how it's affected later on. Uh, so we can look at at that. You might you might want to look at uh, the doctrine of fascism, uh, which is an essay uh, that's often attributed to Benito Mussolini. Um, you can look at Hannah, Hannah Arendt's uh, "The Origins of Totalitarianism," which is an, another great uh, a great text that you should you should definitely get your hands on if you're interested in that. Um, fascism, a short introduction uh, by Kevin Passmore uh, is a is a pretty much a succinct history of fascism uh, from its pre World War origins uh, to the end of I believe it's uh, the end of World War II. Uh, so a good a good look at that. And then finally you might want to take a look at Tyrants uh, by David uh, Walachinsky, uh, which is a, a a look at um, really how a lot of dictators have come to power, 
Uh, it takes a look at a lot of different. It takes a look at basically 20, uh, 20 dictators uh, and how they've managed to maintain their power. How how do they control uh, their societies and so on and so forth. Uh, so that's really all I've got uh, for you guys today. I hope you enjoyed it. Um, this has been another production of the Bareback Facts. Sorry for some sorry for the uh, complications of the technical issues at the beginning of our episode. Uh, hopefully in the future we won't have such problems. But you know that's the that's the price we pay, right? Uh, for for all the technology we use. I guess it's a decent trade off because we still get to uh, have our conversation, guys. So thanks for tuning into the Bareback Facts, and I'll talk to you guys next week. Enjoy your weekend, everybody. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Chumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to Chumbacasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.